Bibles, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3? Ephesians chapter 3, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. We are going to look at the second half of chapter 3. The second half of chapter 3 records a prayer, the second prayer recorded in the book of Ephesians that, pray, that Paul prayed for this congregation. The first one was recorded at the end of chapter 1, and basically he prayed for revelation, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding and comprehension. This one is going to crank it up a little bit. It's going to actually, what I call, make the 18th inch drop. It's going to try to take what you've learned from here and drop it down into here. And that's what this second prayer is. So I'm going to read it, and then we'll double back through and make some comments. So Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to start reading at verse 13. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause... I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, verse 16 through 19 is the heart or the guts of this prayer. That, and you can count the four that's, that he would grant you according to the riches of his grace, I'm sorry, the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That... Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Okay, so there we go. That's the prayer. Um, if you go back, I'm going to break this passage of Scripture into four sections. The first one is just verse 13. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, 14 and 15 is the introduction to this prayer. Uh, 16 through 19 is the guts or the heart of the prayer. And then 20 and 21 is the, the ending, the wrap-up of the prayer. So we will look at this passage in four sections of Scripture. The first section, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul and all the ministers suffered many persecutions. It was pretty much expected. This is talking about John and Peter. This is in Acts 5.41. They, being John and Peter, departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, how many times have you given joy? Someone just picked on you. Peter and John did. Okay. Acts 13, 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. This was pretty much standard operating procedure for Paul. And then 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 27, it talks of all the things he suffered as he preached the gospel. Uh, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, 
in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils of false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness. This was pretty much the way Paul operated. And what he was doing as he prayed for this group of Ephesians, I want you to be sure that my suffering does not cause you to draw weary. He made sure of that. But then he also <clears throat> moved forward. But I just want to remind you, not only was the weariness on Paul's end, but we are to expect persecutions also. If you join a New Testament church and think you've arrived and everything's going to be rosy, that's just not the way life works. And that's not the way the New Testament church works. Just to show you, in the Beatitudes, they, Jesus started right off in Matthew five eleven through 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Lord, really? Really? You want me to be glad when people are making fun of me? For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So we need to expect it. We've been kind of uh, isolated being in America for a good long time. Second Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will, shall suffer persecution. And then finally, 1 Peter 4.12 and 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. There's that glad and that joy again. Okay? It's not the way the prosperity gospel preaches it, is it? I think this is more the austerity gospel, not the prosperity gospel. So let's go on and continue this prayer that we go. So that was just what Paul was preparing for these people. He starts off with, for this cause. Now you know the teacher in me always wants to challenge you, and the teacher can't help but coming out every once in a while. I always ask, when I see a passage like this, it says, for this cause. I go, what cause? What cause? And which one do you think the answer is? That the Gentiles who never had access to God would avoid pride, legalism, and or traditionalism? You think it's for that cause he's praying? How about that the Jews, converted and unconverted, would not criticize this New Testament church? How about that the Gentiles, converted and unconverted, would not think this monotheistic religion snobbish? Or that saints who surrendered all that were all in would be in Satan's crosshairs? Which one do you think it is, A, B, or C, or D? And you know, are you going to say what? E, all of the above, right? That's what the prayer is for, and that's basically what we prayed all these things for. For this cause, you are Gentiles. You've come out of a pagan religion. You are now embracing the living God. You've made some Jews very unhappy. You've made some pagans very unhappy. You've made some Gentiles, some Greeks, some Hebrews. A lot of people are very happy you're doing this. So Satan... For this cause, I'm going to pray for you. Okay? And the other thing is, is, oh, there's that phrase, the whole family of God. Do you realize for centuries that did not include these people from Asia Minor? They were not included. But now Christ came up, he set up a New Testament church, and now they have access to the living God. 
They have access to his fellowship. They have access to his promises. They have access to the hope. They have access to communion with him. They have access to his word. This includes them now, where for centuries it didn't. In whom the whole family of God on earth is named. Okay, here's the heart of the prayer for that's. I want to do this a little bit of order. <clears throat> I want to look at these four that's. And I'm going to look at the Trinity. That's the first, the second, and the fourth that. I want to look at those that's. And then we'll double back and we'll pick up that third that. That. Got it? All right. Number one, verse 16. That the Spirit would strengthen your inner man. I want to be perfectly clear with this as we look at this particular passage. The born-again child of God who's accepted Christ, that's been baptized, that's joined himself to a New Testament church, still has two natures. Got it? A lot of times we read these passages and we think, it's them folks out there. No, they're writing to church members. It's to us folks, okay? In the old days, when I was a little boy... They used to have a lot of cartoons. Everybody from Mickey Mouse to Donald Duck, Elmer Fudd, you name it. They would have this cartoon. And on one shoulder, there'd be some little guy that looked like Elmer Fudd with a little halo. Tell him to do the right thing. And on this shoulder, they would have something on the left hand with a pitchfork and horns. Tell him to do the wrong thing. There's more truth than that that you would care to mention. That's the two natures we have even though we are born again. God, if we weren't born again, you'd only have the one pitchfork here. You wouldn't have both. Got it? So when we look at this passage, there is a battle we undergo every single day for the rest of our life till Christ comes back. Now, that doesn't sound like fun. You're right, it's not fun. But we're going to find this, and I'm just going to inundate you with Scripture to show it. Now, sometimes what they do is they don't call it the little pitchfork guy and the little halo guy. That's not what Scripture calls it. Sometimes they call it the carnal man and spiritual man. Sometimes they call it inward man, outward man. Yeah, new man, old man. These are some of the languages. We're going to see this in a second. These are talking about church members. We're not talking about folks out there. It makes us feel so much better if we're talking about folks out there. But we're talking about our battle. Okay? The born-again child of God has two natures. Probably the most explicit place where this shows up is in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7. This is talking about the Apostle Paul. He's talking about himself, and he's talking about these two natures that he has. My friends, he is born again. He is ordained. He is an apostle. He is starting churches. He's ordaining ministers. He's healing people. He's writing scripture. He's being inspired to write. We're talking about a guy used of God mightily that still has this dual nature and is fighting this battle all the time. This is what Paul is praying for when he says, Ephesians, I'm praying that the Spirit will strengthen you with all might in the inner man. 
He's not talking about people outside the church. He's talking about people inside the church. This is what it says. Now, I paraphrase these. You've got the notes. Go back and read all the scripture this week. Make sure I'm not taking things out of context. Just if I went and got the context for every one of these references, we wouldn't get very far. Okay? In Romans, it's the whole chapter from about chapter 7, 15, all the way to the end of the chapter, but I just grabbed 22 and 23. Paul saying, I delight in the law after the inward man. There's something spiritually in me that says, there's God's word. And I'm going, yippee, that's great, that's wonderful. But there's another part of me, this fleshly part, that says, I can't stand being told what to do. And he's saying, I battle all the time. There's times where I want to do something and I don't do it. And there's times I don't want to do things and I do do it because I'm listening to that other guy on my other shoulder. Now, I know I'm going back to the cartoon. That's not biblical. But you understand what I'm saying. We have that nature. In Romans 8 and 6, it says, To be carnally minded is death and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In other words, when we listen to our flesh, we can expect destruction. And when we listen to spiritual, we can express the fellowship and the blessings of heaven. Does that mean we're not going trials? Absolutely not. But it means we'll have peace going through the trials. And then finally, in Romans 8 and 13, if we live after the flesh, it is to die. We need to mortify the deeds of the body through the spirit. Mortify, that sounds like kill, yeah. We want to crush that. As we read this passage of Scripture, here is the hard thing we have to do. How do we as New Testament saints crush our flesh, but do it in a way where our neighbors and our in-laws and our co-workers that aren't going to church, we don't crush them? That's a hard thing. You got it? And that's where we need God's grace we got to crush our flesh, but do it in a way. That's where all the love of Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. we got to do it in a way where we don't crush them. We let the Lord crush them. Uh, you understand. We can't do it. Okay? Okay, spiritual man. Here we go. Spiritual man. Some, sometimes it's called inward. Sometimes it's a new man. Sometimes it's a good man. Carnal man is the outward man. Here's just a couple verses. You're going to find this presented in... Every church epistle, I think, at least once. Second Corinthians 4, 6, this is what it says. It says, our, our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. My friends, this is church members. These are people that are coming to church every Sunday. These are people that are reading their Bibles. These are people that are faithfully play, praying. And we've got to constantly be after that flesh. Galatians 5 and 17, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's that battle Paul was describing in Romans 7. They don't like each other. And you've got that. Now, you're, thinking, you're probably discouraged. You're thinking, wow, I've got this battle. Brother Dolph, I can't stand the battle. Well, just think about it. If you didn't have a battle, I'd be afraid right? Because if you didn't have the battle, you wouldn't have the spirit inside you fighting against that. Yeah? That's a good sign. The battle's a good sign. But I don't like it. I know I don't like it either. And scripture says it didn't like it either. 
We'll see that again in this next section. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Put off the old man with his deeds. Put on the new man. Now, wait a second, Brother Dolph. That sounds like a whole lot of the description of baptism in Romans chapter 6. Yeah, when we get baptized, in essence, we go into the water. It is a picture of burying that old man. And in essence, it's a picture of living in the new man. When we get baptized, we do that. But that's nothing more than a recognition of this battle we got for the rest of our lives. And we've got to do that. Crucify yourself day by day. I almost want to cross that out and put minute by minute. Well, yes? Okay, let's go to the next one. Think about it this way. And here's, here's a wonderful passage here in Romans 8. Think about it this way. God has come into you with his Holy Spirit, and he's put his spirit in you, and let's pretend I'm going to call you nothing more than a clay pot. And I know you go, so you're going to call me dirt? I go, yeah. And I'm not going to apologize to you. I'm going to apologize to the dirt, okay? <laughs> but here is this clay pot, and God puts the Holy Spirit inside of it. And you know what the Holy Spirit is doing while it's inside the clay pot? It's, I can't wait to get out of here. That's what this passage says. Let's go to Romans 8 and 20. The creature, the spiritual man, is made subject to vanity. It's clay encasement. In Romans 8, 21, the creature, the spiritual man, shall be delivered from this bondage. There is a time when that spirit is going to be released. That's a death or Jesus coming. It can't wait to get out of here. And if you don't believe it, just talk to Sister Rhoda. I got to paint with her a couple hours this morning. That's why you excuse our mess in the back room. But I talked to her the whole time. She says, I don't know why God still got me here. I'm going to be 92 in November. I wish she'd take me home. You know what? She's got this battle bone, but I know who's winning in her. The Spirit's winning in her. Amen? Romans 8, 22 and 23. Every spiritual man groans. It's saying, Lord, please come back. Get me out of this clay pot. I can't stand be. I'm tired of fighting it. And Christ is going to come back and he's going to take that and he's going to resurrect that new body and that new that clay pot's going to be made perfect and that battle won't happen anymore. So that's our battle. This is a born-again child of God. So when Paul prays for this group of people, he is praying that the members of this church at Ephesus that have claimed Jesus Christ as their Savior, that God, way before they ever figured anything out, put their spirit into him. He's saying, you've got a battle. And I'm going to pray that through that spirit, by might, you can win that battle every single day. It's not like, I had a success today. I'm good. I think I can cruise for a whole week on this one. Because as soon as you say that, guess what? You're already slipping down the slippery slope, right? Okay. So that was, that was the first that. The first that. So... <clears throat> Unfortunately, you've got this battle every day for the rest of your life. Number two, it's a spiritual man versus a carnal man. We all have that nature. And number three, that spirit is waiting to get, can't wait to get out. Okay? All right. Here's the second that. The second that can be found in verse 17. That Christ dwell in your heart by faith. 
that Christ dwell in your heart by faith. I'm, I'm going to tackle this heart of this particular prayer that uh, Paul's going to pray for these uh, members of this church. I'm going to do the Trinity first. So I'm going to do one, two, and four, and then I'll double back and get three. Okay. Okay, Christ on us. Christ dwell in your heart by faith. I'm going to look at Christ on us, Christ in us, and Christ motivating us. Those are my titles. Let me read some scripture. <clears throat> in Romans 13, 14, it says, Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the, faith, for the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, Walk in the Spirit and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ephesians 4.22 says, put off the old man and its desire. That's a battle. This is something we do. This is something we do all the time. Uh, last night, um, I, I visited my, my, my oldest son. They were putting in fence posts. They were getting some pastures ready for some farm animals. And they had dinner, and I showed up about 5 o'clock. And after they finished their work outside, I was playing with the kids a little bit. And they said, Grandpa, will you play hide-and-seek with us? And I said, as soon as dinner's over. So we ate dinner, and then first thing Gideon comes running up and says, Okay, Grandpa, you promised to play hide-and-seek. So I did. And you first, Grandpa. I said, Okay, go on the couch, bury your head, don't peek. So I went around the corner. And I was looking for a hiding spot. And when you go through this one hallway, right to the left, Graham's got all these old work clothes. He's got these bib overhauls that are just, just, just beige and dark. And he had some coats and stuff like that. So what I did is I went and put those dirty clothes on. And I put the coat on and I stood in the corner like this. And I hid. And they were zipping back and forth by me. Boom, boom, boom. Where's Grandpa? Where's Grandpa? Zipping back. And I was sitting there just looking at him the whole time. They didn't recognize me. And then I took off the coat, and I took off the overhauls. Grandpa, there you are. I was there the whole time. I just had some dirty clothes on. Well, that's what our lives are like. I was there the whole time. I've got to take off those dirty clothes, and I've got to take them off every single day. Every single day, because they get dirty. They get dirty. Put them off, take them on. Okay? All right, <clears throat> Christ in us, Christ in us, okay? Galatians 5, 24 says, crucify the flesh with the affections and the lust. Titus 2, 12 says, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, live soberly, righteously, and godly. Colossians 3, 5, mortify your members and its deeds. Look at that language that God is using to born-again church members. Mortify, crucify, and deny. Man, it would have been so much easier if he says that applies to all those folks out there. But it doesn't. He's talking about us. But, but, but I've cleaned up my act. Amen? Isn't that what we think? I'm a pretty good guy. No, we've got to do this every single day. I want to share one more story. Okay. Um, I want to tell you a story about a, a ninth grade boy. I'm going to try to do this in a way that's very discreet. <clears throat> but there was a ninth grade boy, and this particular ninth grade boy um, had a problem with uh, self-discipline. Okay. 
um, whether it came to electronics, just a lot of different areas of life, just had a tough time with discipline, and folks got the bright idea. I know it would be good for him. Cross-country running. Cross-country running. So what they did is they made an arrangement with a local um, Christian school that had a, um, a really good cross-country team. And the father went to the coach and said, I know this child doesn't go to your school, and I know it's not legal for you to have him race and meets and like that. He says, I'm not asking for any of that. I'm just asking if you would just allow this ninth grade boy just to train with your team. It turns out the team was really good. They were always one or two in the state uh, for their division for the last several for several years running. Can, can, can my ninth grade boy just hang around with some disciplined boys that, that deny themselves physically, deny themselves um, entertainment-wise to get their schoolwork done. I just want some of that influence to rub off. And the coach said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. Matter of fact, we've got something called JV, and he can actually suit up, wear a uniform, and run in the JV race because JV doesn't count for anything. We don't give points. We don't give scores. There's not first place. There's not second place. It's, it's just training. He said, I'd be happy to do that. The father says, that's great. Son trained with him, did a couple meets. <clears throat> and there was something that this school did that was pretty amazing. Is when the JV was running, now the JV only ran half. The, 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 the varsity ran a 5K, which is 3.2 miles, 3.1 miles, something like that. Yes? The 5K has 3.1 miles, is that right? 3.1, 3.2, something like that. Well, the JV only ran one loop. And the varsity ran two loops. So they only had half a race. So what the man did, the coach did, is he got all his varsity runners, and this was male and the female, and he dispersed them throughout the track. So there was a varsity runner about every tenth of a mile as these junior varsity people were running. Well, the ninth grader, this was a couple meets into it, took off running. And about three or four minutes into the race... This ninth grade boy got a side cramp. And anyone that's ever run has gotten a side cramp. And the ninth grade boy stopped in his tracks and he started walking. And as he went through that race, he passed by all these varsity runners, male and female. Come on, run through it. You can do it. And this ninth grade boy looked at him and gave him the eat dirt look. This hurts. I don't do stuff that hurts. I only do stuff that's fun, that's pleasurable. Went a little bit further. There was one girl that was the state champion four years in a row. You're going to hate yourself when the race is over. What? Totally incomprehensible. Okay? My point in sharing this with you, as I look at this battle we have, as I look at this battle that Christ is telling to us, life is not easy. God never promised it; it would be easy. And if all we're looking for is pleasure, we will be the most miserable of all people to avoid anything that's painful. 
That's what grows us. That's what makes us strong. That's what purges us of our bad habits. And that's what we need to be doing. And as Paul so often talked about running a race, talking about his life, that's exactly what it is. So we run through those pains. And sometimes we have to crucify, sometimes we deny, sometimes we mortify. We don't let pleasures drive us, we let God's word drive us. And it takes strength to do that. It takes self-discipline to do that. And that's what Paul's praying for this church. He knew it was going to be hard. And he was praying for the Spirit would strengthen their inner man and that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Okay? Christ motivating us. Romans 6, 8. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. When I deny myself, I'm living with Christ. When I don't deny myself, I'm not living in Christ. I'm living in my flesh. Galatians 2.20. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In 2 Timothy 2.11. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Sounds like oxymorons. I got to die to live? Yeah. <laughs> I got to humble to be exalted, right? And when you exalt yourself, you're not humble. You're not, you got it? You're not exalted. So there you go. Christ in us, Christ on us, Christ motivating us. That's what he was praying for them. Okay, and the fourth that in this particular prayer is time's getting away from me. I'm sorry. Okay, let's go. Um, be filled with the fullness of God. What does that mean? Can I take everything God has and put it inside of me? No. But I can take a little bit of God and put it in me and it'll overflow me, right? So I'm full. I haven't jammed everything God has. What I think that means is we take some of God's attributes. God is faithful. He's good. He's gracious. He's holy. He's just. He's loving. He's merciful. He's wise. And if I could take those smattering of God attributes and putting in me so they overflow in me, does that mean I got everything God has? Of course not. It doesn't take that much to fill me up. God is the one that's vast and expansive, right? And it just overflows. I can put a little bit of him in me and it'll overflow. Well, what happens when I do that? The world sees. And you know what? When they see you and you're in that state, they catch a little bit of glimpse of God. They'll never see God by looking at me, but they get a little peek at it. Amen? And do you realize when that's you... When Satan tries you, in essence, he's trying God. When you have God's attributes and he's trying you, he's trying a replica of God. Inferior as it may. And then finally, when a New Testament church is composed of members like this, you know what? God is glorified. God is glorified. Not we are glorified. God is glorified. Okay? Okay? So those are three of the that's in that prayer. Let's go back to the third one. We're going to double back and get that one. It's actually kind of long when it starts at 17 and wraps up halfway through verse 19. And there's three main things that show up in that. Number one, it says, rooted and grounded in love. Unlike what the church of Ephesus became. Okay, Remember we got a little sneak preview of this church. The church of Ephesus was the first church that was addressed in Revelations 2. 
And he told of some great things that were going on in that church. In Revelations 2.2, he says, this church labored patiently. And I say, amen, you get an A. And they said, also, they maintain, maintain doctrinal integrity. So when I'm going down the report card, they got an A that category too. And then I come down, it says, they elevated the name of Jesus. They get another A. And they did so without fault or weariness. They get another A. And then you get to that last grade. Yet they did these things for the wrong reason. They did it because of pride and legalism and not for gratitude. They left their first love. Doctrinally, they were spotless. You know what they were like? In Ephesians chapter 6, we'll get there one day, but it's talking about the whole armor of God. Yes? You know the whole armor of God? You got a helmet up here, you got a breastplate here, you got all this stuff, you got a sword, you got a shield. You know what happens when you come in with a doctrinal purity? It's like going into battle with a helmet, right? What happens when you go into that battle? Do you think the guy's going to shoot at your head? No, he's going to shoot at your heart, right? Well, what if you go in with a head, helmet, and a breastplate? What are you going to... He's going to go for your feet, right? We need all the armor of God. We need the whole thing. And Satan's going to scour. He's going to look at you, and he's going from top to bottom. And he's going, where's the weak spot? There it is. That's what I'm going for. He's smart that way, right? And what does he use? Did he use a sword? Who knows what he used? Starts with a D, four, word, four letters. He uses a dart. Darts are small. You got a little bitty crack between the breastplate and your helmet. That's where he's going to set that dart, right? You got a little bit slip. That's where he's going, right? Here's this Roman or Here's this Ephesians church. And they, they had the doctrinal integrity. They had the work. They had the patience. They held Jesus' name up. But you know what? Their heart was wrong. Their motive was wrong. They were doing it out of legalism. They were doing it out of pride. We want to do those things, but we want to do it out of thankfulness. We want to do it because Jesus died for us in order to say thank you. That's a whole lot better motive. Pride is one of his favorite tools. Okay? All right. Uh, To comprehend the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of how? Well, I want you to understand the effectiveness of Jesus' sacrifice. He atoned every sin of every elect child that ever lived. Can you understand what that was? Isn't that mind-blowing? Paul's praying that they would understand that. The thoroughness of Jesus' obedience. He fulfilled every jot and tittle of the Old Testament law. I was told that there's 372 details that he fulfilled in that Passion Week. That's mind-blowing. How far he descended, he left heaven, he became human, and then he was mocked and abused by sinful men. Do you understand that, what he did to come down on earth for us? I don't. The completeness of his victory, he conquered Satan, he conquered sin, he conquered the grave, and he had conquered eternal hell. Yeah, I say amen, that's right. I pray you'd understand the length and the width and the depth and the height of that, just a little bit. I think right now it's set for the length. Maybe tomorrow I can get the height. Okay, and then finally I want to talk about no. Sometimes we're too casual with that word no. The Bible uses the word no two ways. 
It talks about head knowledge, but it also talks intimacy. So when you say, I want you to know Christ, I just, it's not just this. I want you to know Christ. I want you to be intimate with him. A natural man easily forgets names, dates, chores, laws, gifts, kindness, but they don't forget intimacy. Verse John 8, he that loved us knoweth not God, for God is love. Intellectually, you got his word, but you don't know him. You don't have intimacy with him. That's what he's talking about, okay? All right, I'm quickly running out of time. Let's go over here. Well, the last two verses is verse 20 and 21. In this particular passage, Paul is asking for understanding wisdom. And, I'm sorry, the first prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, he asks for understanding wisdom, enlightenment, revelation, and knowledge for... These are all the things he asked for. He was asking that this body of believers would get this up here. Got it? In the second prayer, he's asking for it to go here. If all I have a church is intellectual know-it-alls, I don't have anything that represents Jesus Christ. Okay? But don't get me wrong. There's, there's always a balance. If we have a church that's all head and no heart, we're in trouble. But we have a church that's all heart and no head, we're just as much in trouble. We need both. We need the knowledge of Christ, but we also need Christ in our hearts. We need to be able to crush our flesh, our outward man, the old man. We need to crush him, but do it in a way that doesn't ramrod over everybody we come in contact with. The goal is to win, to heal, to restore. It's not to prove guilty beyond a, a reasonable doubt. That's what we're here for, and that's what it takes. Okay? The second prayer was to do the very same. Of a God with unlimited power, unlimited knowledge, unlimited authority, unlimited timeline, unlimited generosity, and unlimited presence. That's the God we worship. And what did I say? I said, wow. Wow. So I think it, we go forward and we're praying that the Lord will bless this church. I think both prayers are good for our church. The one in Ephesians 1 and the one in Ephesians 2. We need this, but we also need this. And I pray that that will give us the balance. May the Lord bless you. Let me close by reading the passage, and then we'll call it, we'll sing a song. Ephesians 3, let me start reading at verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now this prayer was for the Ephesians, but it could very easily be for the saints that belong to Mount Olive Church in Roanoke, Virginia that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. you got to battle, guys. And I'm praying that spirit's going to battle and stomp that old uh, guy with a halo and the pitchfork, I mean, the pitchfork and the horns. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and be that ye be being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge. I pray that for you. That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. 
Look at those three words. Exceeding, abundantly, above. It's kind of like going verily, verily, isn't it? All we think or ask, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be the glory in the, in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. 